0: In this episode of Non-Native Creative, I spoke with Lance Henderstein. For this interview, Lance was based in Sicily, but his work usually takes him between Italy and Japan. Lance is a copywriter with a background in photography and other artistic fields, and in university he studied East Asian languages and literature. He puts together his copywriting skills with his photography skills to produce a lot of travel-related work. So he's created travel guides and travel articles for media outlets like the BBC, Vice, and Vanity Fair Italia, to name just a few. So as you can imagine, a lot of this talk is focused on the realities of working in travel media today. We also talked about the roles and the responsibilities of photography and photographers in today's media landscape, so quite interesting. Also, full disclosure, Lance and I have been friends for many years, so this is a very straightforward talk. You'll also hear some of Lance's impressions about the differences between people who are from Japan, US, and Italy in terms of their working styles and their communication styles. You can check out Lance from the links in the description to find his homepage and where you can find him on social media. Also, for a transcript of this talk and other bonus materials, please visit patreon.com slash non-native creative. Your support will help make sure the project can continue. Enjoy. On this week's episode of non-native creative, I'm super excited to welcome my longtime friend Lance Henderstein to the show. Thank you so much for joining me from Italy today. Yeah, I'm based in Tokyo. Yeah, Yeah. Sicily. Super exciting. It's the longest distance episode of the show so far. Congratulations.
1: Uh, I'm already <laughs> ahead of the game. I'm winning.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah. already get points. You already get points. Yeah. So I'm super excited to talk to you about everything uh, that you've been up to. Uh, we met in Tokyo uh, many, many years ago and yeah. have kind of kept yeah. in touch here and there, worked together on a couple projects here and there. Yeah. You are uh, a photographer and a writer and yeah. uh, we're going to hear all about what you've been up to and your thoughts about your international experiences today. So,
1: okay. Let's get
0: into it with the first question that I ask everybody in the series. All right. Yeah. One that, that, that people often go, what is this girl talking about for, uh, please imagine yourself as if you were a superhero, uh, and if you had to describe your personal origin story, the thing that kicked off everything for you in your life and your creative and your international experiences, if you had an origin story, what would that be? And can you tell us?
1: Ah, an origin story. It's kind of tough. I feel like I have these, these left and right turns that like negate the, the mm. earlier stories. But um, joke answer, I guess, would be Eminem, like, Eight miles.
0: Please <laughs> tell us pre- more. <laughs> pretty
1: similar to my... It's essentially a biopic of my early uh-huh. teens, but with um, more rapping for me. No.
0: How oh, <laughs> much more rapping?
1: <laughs> a lot. <laughs> there was a lot of rapping um yeah no that's pretty similar i mean it was it, my friends when that movie came out were like hey, have you seen this it's you know it's really close and i was uh-huh. like i'm going with eminem he's the." eminem me. okay yeah so... he overcame the odds and he exists in places he should not be probably um, okay. That's, that's... oh okay nothing it. like eminem personality wise but like mm-hmm. that that kind of where you just go totally culturally off um, okay from where people expect you to be, maybe it works. Gotcha. Sorry, it's not not so. No, much
0: but I like I think that yeah. we can we can we can come back to that a little bit later for sure.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Growing up, I was you know born in Detroit. Um, I moved a ton as a kid, so I was like always back and forth, moving mm-hmm. all around. So needed to make friends quickly. My friend groups were obviously really diverse and and you know not typical for mm-hmm. I think someone who looks like. Me, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, it doesn't jive with how I appeared, like the way I grew up. Um, So, it's maybe formative in that way. Like, um, you got to make friends quickly. You got to ingratiate yourself. You have to be a little bit overly confident. And I think uh, definitely my younger days, it was like you know a cockiness, the kind of brash American Mm -hmm. cockiness that you need. It's obviously it's a defense mechanism. I think you know any teenager sure that. sure and then hopefully you grow out of it although that's not guaranteed these days <laughs> no, and no it may be not even beneficial these days um, okay
0: but that makes sense that yeah. makes sense you know like that ability yeah. to quickly get to you know build networks in your community and if, like you said you had a diverse kind of friend group growing up yeah so what was it that sort of led you to thinking like i know you studied um east asian you had east asian studies was
1: kind yeah, of like yeah it's group. like a linguistics japanese it's a double major, essentially. Yeah, like,
0: so how, how did you get the there through, uh, through you know, growing up in different places and so on? What, what kind of yeah. brought you to that topic?
1: I was always interested in like, um, in, in the way people spoke. Uh, so I grew up in Detroit in like, on the border, we're on the border with Windsor, Canada, like you can literally look across the river and see Canada. Mm-hmm. So a lot, the, um, a lot of the media, like our radio stations, um, tons of canadian tv it's just terrestrial tv it wasn't even like you know cable or anything it's just regular beamed over mm-hmm. so i didn't i didn't realize that they were canadian shows i was just watching them like uh you can't do that on television or mr dress up i'm aging myself a bit here but and americans you have no right you never even heard of these shows mm-hmm. um no so these were on and i noticed how they talked like they would say uh dollar and like all the you know all the, Oh, stare, the, the Canadian, Canadian the things like sorry, and they, they just had a very clipped way of speaking, and right. I thought I had like a an incorrect accent because they're on TV, so they must be legit, right?
0: Oh, okay.
1: So it like kind of clicked on for me. I'm like, why? Wait, why does my grandpa have this weird accent? I don't have this accent. Like, everyone's talks different. Are we choosing? Mm-hmm. I remember thinking about this all the time, and then doing impressions, a ton of impressions when I was a kid uh-huh. of everybody around or people on TV. Um, and so i think the, the linguistic thing was was clicked on early and then moving a lot obviously moved to california when i was a kid in florida and then back to michigan and then up mm-hmm. north michigan back to detroit wow and noticing that there were differences everywhere i went like everyone said did something different or had different mm-hmm. words that they were choosing um so i've always been interested in that and always asking why 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 you know like mm-hmm. really overly curious probably to the chagrin of my teachers growing up, but they always like, <laughs> stop asking why, just memorizing me. Okay,
0: so was there some kind of moment that you were exposed to like Japanese media or to uh, Asian, you know, art or history or something?
1: Yeah, I was never into like anime or anything like that, but my grandfather um, fought in the Pacific theater and was like in the Battle of Okinawa, he's in the Air Force. Uh, he actually volunteered for the Air Force, which seems insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't have, he didn't have to go. He got into some engineering program. He could have gone to Stanford and just like hung out for the war, um, but quit and decided to, to volunteer. So he ended up in Okinawa and then at GHQ um, for a year or something when he was like, you know, he was mm-hmm. like 20 or something at this point. And uh, I, I mean, that's not the reason why, but I guess that must have kind of, you know, flipped a switch or something to let me know that that existed and that there was some kind of family connection to it mm-hmm. later it made it was cool because it had depth and I went to the places he went to like Hanamaki and like you know all these um, you know places in Tohoku where they the, the soldiers were and uh, yeah that was weird like you know kind of circle
0: mm. of
1: things um, and then I really didn't think about it. I always wanted to be bilingual Definitely. So I assumed it would be like Spanish or something useful. In America. <laughs> Sorry, Ow. not to say that Japanese. You know what I mean, though. You know what I mean. It's it's an isolated language. Like Spanish, I can speak in you know how many countries to how many. Yeah, yeah. Though of I have people. found
0: that knowledge of Japanese has allowed me here and there uh, to understand things that are written in, in Chinese. For sure. Even if I can't read it, I can at least, I at least know the characters and I'm like, oh yeah, two for one with this language. <laughs> so. Yeah,
1: it definitely is helpful um, in Asia, but just in America, from an American-centric sure. point of view, sure. I assume Spanish, you know, of course, it's the Western Hemisphere. Probably um, a little more useful
0: or a little more... Mm, I- there's probably a little, there are more opportunities to use it. Well, depending did you, on which part. Did you have Spanish. a
1: language that you studied before Japanese? Did you?
0: Yeah, I studied, uh, I also studied Spanish. Because at my Spanish, high school, right. well, I just I just took whatever language class was available to me at, at any point in my life. Like, when I was in uh, yeah. middle school, it was like, we had like this uh, Egypt, you know, you had like the the junior high school part where you learned about, you know, like Egypt and ancient Greece and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And when we yeah. got to the Egypt part, my teacher handed out these, um, like little it's like one page worksheets. there were hieroglyphic study sheets and they were essentially just like bird equals a <laughs> like dog yeah. equals c and i was just like yes this is so yeah. awesome i'm learning actual hieroglyphics and that i would like write my dad notes in that stuff so it's like it wasn't a real language but that was like those kinds of things like whatever was available yeah. for language and stuff i was studying it so yeah that was the first time But it feels like it was always always
1: in you, right? Like you always wanted to do it. There was no like thing that made you go like, oh, I need to. It was just like, I want to, this It was more like
0: it's a puzzle. It's something to figure out, you know, like I liked that. But then, yeah, there was a a French slash Spanish. There was a romance languages introduction course when I was in eighth grade. I took that and then Spanish in uh, high school for two years. And then uh, started studying Japanese after the Spanish classes ran out. I just started studying Japanese oh, really? on my own oh, yeah, just, have... there
1: was no more available so
0: yeah yeah so oh. I moved on to Japanese uh yeah junior year of high school so
1: okay mm-hmm.
0: so were you learning Japanese at a school were you taking some kind of Japanese lessons like in 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 university as you were studying East Asia
1: yeah university was in my major was linguistics and Japanese so like okay uh, it was like half and half I realized quickly that well I went okay I went to art school first and I dropped out because it was too expensive so there's a center for creative studies in Detroit's college for creative studies now it's a really good design school and I got in there they gave me like oh they gave me $10,000 scholarship but like you know tuition's like 40 mm. and then supplies for art school and then I have to live downtown so I have to rent it's like you know I'm looking at $100,000 just you know in the first couple of years or first year so it was just like I grew up really poor, so those numbers just hit me like, oh, "This is this is insane." I'm not right. doing this, um, as you know, as an American sticker shock. You know, is, is real for college.
0: Yeah, and the, uh, the educational experience is often extremely expensive in the USA.
1: Like people yep.
0: kind of expect to graduate with just often just a lifetime of debt. So yeah,
1: you just you just you just factor it away. I'm going to be in debt, um, but I was like, maybe I can minimize this. So. Uh, I was eligible for scholarships in Michigan because I was like a ward of the state. It's kind of like an orphan. Um, oh, okay. So I was eligible for scholarships. But I went to a state school. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to state school, cut my costs in like a third of what I'm paying now. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to study art at a state school because it's not good, right? So or in my mind. Okay. Um, yeah. So I just switched to language. And um, then I was like, oh, I, can, I can study abroad at cost. Like, my, oh, my counselor okay. was like, you realize we have a free study abroad, like, to Japan or wherever you want to go, really. We have, like, the biggest study abroad program, Michigan State. So, wow. I was like, ah, oh, this is, like, jackpot. I can just travel for, you know, I, I figured I would never be able to do it. Um, sure. So, that's yeah, actually,
0: I was like, okay. That's so one of spent things. I half my
1: time over you there. Have
0: to, you have to take advantage of those things. I had, a, like, uh, while I was in university, too, there were, like, you know, study abroad programs in my school. Uh, I was at the University of Oregon, but there was also like these internships, and I actually deferred graduation for a semester just so I could participate. Because I was like, once I graduate, the opportunity's gone.
1: Totally, so, I was, like, it's I so smart. I gotta go
0: now. <laughs> I just gotta yeah. go. So I just deferred graduation for a term and worked it all out. Um, like I had my parents to support me, and thankfully. Like you know,
1: uh, yeah, I it was, was very
0: like privileged to have that. Uh, but, yeah, I was like, oh, my God, if I don't do this, I'll regret it, I'm sure. It'll be one of those, I'm going to wonder for the rest of my life situation. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. where did you go for your study, bro?
1: Japan. I mean, obviously uh, Japan, but, like, yeah, what yeah. city? Um, <laughs> Shiga. Shiga. Hikone. Shiga, Japan. It's on Shiga. Lake Yeah, yeah. Shiga. Yeah.
0: So, this, for anyone... Yeah, not familiar with Japan, this is not Tokyo. <laughs> it's not no, Osaka. This is not, no,
1: This is uh, real countryside. And not only countryside, like, uh, industrial, working class, kind of. You know okay um there's a lot of factories and stuff down there um but it was great because it's uh it's tied in with all michigan universities so it was like you're in a dormitory all together studying the teaching staff is great um mm-hmm. yeah and you're in the middle of nowhere so anytime you go out you know you're you're speaking a form of japanese it's a it's kansai ben for sure so ah, like, you know, okay
0: i was gonna the, ask yeah like about yeah, the japanese that you were learning oh
1: uh, yeah you you were deep kansai. so um The teachers were always having to correct us because we don't, you know, you know how it goes, man. You watch TV and it's like all Osaka guys. and Yeah, for those not
0: familiar with Japan and Japanese dialects, there's the kind of cool, uh, the the TV, the entertainment style um, Japanese, which is called uh, Kansai-ben. So ben means like dialect in this context. Uh, So Osaka-ben or Kansai-ben means like dialect from Osaka or dialect from the Kansai region of Japan so this is kind of looser and rougher and cooler sounding than what yeah. we uh, in Kanto the east part of Japan and Tokyo speak so I mean the, the 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 common refrain is that living in the countryside is far better for development of your language skills than living in a place like Tokyo was that mm. oh, you're making a face that makes me think that wasn't necessarily true
1: <laughs> <laughs> no I think it depends on how countryside and depends on how like in this case, I'm surrounded by foreigners in the dorm, right? So like, mm-hmm. we're all from Michigan as okay. well. So we have similar backgrounds, for most of us. Um, there were a few Japanese people in the dorm as well, like learning English. So that was weird, mm-hmm. um, a older people, not older, but you know, older than students. Um, less opportunities to speak or meet Japanese people because there's just less people, right? So mm-hmm. um, there was like a bar next to the place that everybody hung out called Tsukimoto's and that was a good chance people knew that the that our students hung out there so they would come to try and practice English okay this but no I mean I I did a semester there and I was like oh maybe I can actually I never thought I could actually learn Japanese Mm -hmm. I honestly just thought I'd take it and it would look cool on my resume (laughs) I I, honestly I was like oh it's gonna look great like people are gonna be so impressed it was like Uh very egotistical reason for doing it a hard language um But then I did, as soon as I left that semester, I was like, I can do this. Like, I can definitely learn this language for sure. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard speaking, uh, writing is tough, but, um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to come back for a whole year by myself. Mm -hmm. So I pitched, I guess this is my first big pitch. Really weirdly, I pitched to my program, uh, an independent study where I would get double the credit. So I'd basically get a year because I was behind a year from art school. So I was like, I'll get double the credits and I'll do one whole year. In Japan at a language school and then at like Jose University for like that's our sister school mm-hmm. and uh they I couldn't believe it they took it wow and, um, yeah and then I got uh, a a Asia scholarship which is a great uh, scholarship
0: yeah 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 I write I an essay
1: I I, so I got that I couldn't believe that I just wrote an essay about my grandpa or something and like they gave it to me it's like eight grand you know so it's like oh that's my living expenses this is wow. I thought it was not my living expenses <laughs> <laughs> in for <Tokyo>. a year <laughs> yeah no <laughs> no <laughs> covered rent for like six months <laughs> uh, but i was very happy cool. to get it
0: i've yeah. never heard of someone pitching their program yeah. uh, uh, a study abroad thing that's very how did you come up with that idea
1: i just i wanted to do a year but i wanted to do intensive language study like i wanted a language oh. lang- language all day long and i couldn't find any programs that allowed for that they all made me do like ikebana or something and i was like
0: uh, flower
1: arranging I just wanted to oh sorry sorry I just wanted to you know language only
0: mm, um, mm.
1: and I want to live on my own so that I can like really immerse and in, in feel like I'm living there not like I'm some dependent student um, yeah so they went for it
0: um, cool so you yeah. ended up you said Jose University so we're yeah we're, where's well, that well the morning
1: I was doing actually there's a my main study, <laughs> I didn't do anything at Jose. nothing. It was like a joke. Um, I just hung out in the lunchroom, essentially. They gave me essays occasionally. Um, Jose's in Ichigaya uh, oh, okay. in the middle of Tokyo. And then, uh, what was the name of the school? I'm forgetting the name of my language school. KCP International, no which okay. is tied in with Lincoln University, which is a historically Black college in, in the US, mm-hmm. and Idaho University or something like that. But they have a okay. really good program highly recommend it for anybody who wants to do three months. It's a little more expensive um, than the others. But like the teachers there are the ones who teach the other Japanese teachers. So it's like the, it's the place that people who want to be Japanese teachers study. Okay. They're they're very solid. um, You do not cheat there. Like you can't jump up a level. You, you can't phone in tests. If you miss a test, you have to take it until you pass. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's very, very strict. Mm-hmm. Um, and there weren't at that time, many Western students, there were a lot of Korean, Chinese, Sri Lankan and not only the people from like Lincoln University or American University. So it was really mm-hmm. isolates you. And uh, yeah, I mean, it really that solidified my language skills, I think. Okay, so you 100%. took
0: that year to kind of to really build up your language skills and like, I assume also get more comfortable living in like city Japan. Yep uh so i assume then like once you once you had that language skills you're like all right i want to put this to work you know literally and start working nope. in japan did you move directly into working <laughs> no. with what did you do after that
1: i wasted it for three years uh really I, I, yeah, yeah yeah i don't know i do this a lot this is a, a bad habit this is if you want some advice don't do that um stick with stuff I, yeah i just i don't know i was like okay cool i did that now <clears throat> I got to be realistic and, you know, keep working. So I got a job out of college working for CBS Radio. And I was going to do radio. Dying industry. Really dumb. No one saw, it, no one saw a podcast coming um, mm-hmm. at this time. So, okay. <clears throat> so I was living in Los Angeles. This is like also, by the way, like the worst economic situation in... This is like the deep would have been doldrums. What? 2000. 2005.
0: 2005 okay
1: yeah i'm old so yeah it's 2005 so i was like there's no jobs man and Uh, no one's hiring so uh i took the first one i got which was good cbs radio just doing board and editing i was living in la which i hated i didn't Uh, yeah like your
0: your comment earlier about you know expenses and life expenses when you said you were living in la i was like that can't have been cheap like it's still not cheap better
1: than like new york or san francisco or something which i just thought you can't you know mm. unless you have a trust fund or something i um, see
0: so what brought yes. you back to japan in the end then
1: uh yeah i burnt out in la honestly mm. and uh, i quit i just quit like i walked into my the office one day and was just like i'm done mm. and uh i just got burnt out it's, uh, it's a, it's but yeah it is costly if you consider like car costs and yeah i don't know it just wasn't working i i I had a bunch of friends who moved out of there out there from michigan after that and they all loved it and they're still living there and they're doing great Mm -hmm. uh but for me it just wasn't a fit i always saw myself in like you know chicago or
0: okay so you hopped on a plane back to tokyo or something
1: so i literally just was like my dad was like why don't you just take a vacation you like you like japan why don't you go see your friends and just take a couple weeks off and decide where you want to move next as soon as i got on like narita express they're like you know a train that goes from the airport. I just sat down and the lady brought the tea. It was just like, ah, oh, like I'm gonna stay for a year.
0: So at what point did you start working as a photographer?
1: Oh, uh, uh, were yeah. You doing,
0: I, did you do the I English was always, teaching thing for a while?
1: I did, yeah. Um, not ALT. Uh, I was at an international school teaching returnees, like kids who had lived abroad yeah. and then came back. So they're essentially American or Australian or English kids. Um, Shibuya how to use the school. I don't know, it's pretty kind of known. Um, but that was good. I, I think if I had just been an ALT, I would have left like after a year or something, or I would have changed jobs, mm-hmm. like became a copywriter or something like that quicker. Um, mm-hmm. But I got that job and it was really, really enjoyable, like more than I ever thought because I was teaching in English, I was teaching writing. I wasn't teaching like ABCs. So it was like essentially like being a junior high school teacher in America or something. Oh, okay. Better, better behaved kids uh for okay. sure you know a bunch of little nerds they were great i loved them um and it was very very satisfying in a way that i totally did not predict like i really mm-hmm. enjoyed it um especially because at that age i didn't like i had such a different life from them that i had a lot of good kind of things i could could express to them and help them get through their you know 14 is the worst age i think or returnees one
0: of them. are a fun group for sure they're, they're
1: really great yeah
0: did they ever ask um, you do you have any i know for my returnee group <laughs> Uh, I remember a couple of real good questions they asked me. Do you have any like they're like they just ask you something so bizarre. (laughs) My favorite Ah, question probably just came from he must have been 10 at the time, returning kid. Yeah, once in the middle of a lesson he asked me did Hitler walk on the moon <laughs> I
1: was yeah, like, yeah no yeah.
0: <laughs> where did that come from yeah that one I just it's just forever in my <laughs> you,
1: mind yeah you would get a lot of stuff like that because it's like they have all the 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 base knowledge and then they a lot of times don't have the filter the social filters uh built in yet you know because they're young they're little kids and like whereas if they said that in you know America people would be like you can't say that or they would get some reaction but here they can just I don't or know I, and, it and I think it's just yeah. in the
0: setting with you know a, a teacher you know that is sort of you know an <laughs> outsider that question. can get away with asking. <laughs> like yeah yeah. <laughs> that one's always stuck in my mind so you were doing that for a while and then like did yeah. you pick up photography as kind of a as kind of a hobby that's. Uh,
1: yeah it's still mixed up I studied I did study photography for uh, the, the year uh, the first year of university so I studied mm-hmm. black and white did darkroom all that Uh, Went to Japan for my study abroad after quitting art school and didn't have a camera and was You know, I I, stupidly I should have just bought a camera obviously Um, But I had been borrowing my parents and I thought they would let me take it with them with me and they were like no And I was like "Hmm, fine then I you know, I won't anymore Um, So I was always taking photos um, For myself and for my family and that kind of thing Um, after I finished teaching um I did a I prototyped like a program I was gonna go get my master's or like continue education or something maybe Mm -hmm. maybe go get a master's in photography or something like that uh and my friend sent me this new program which is now kind of a gap year program for Stanford Design School Mm -hmm. at this time it was like just a startup um called Experience Institute which is not the most grabbing name but um
0: that sounds familiar actually
1: yeah doing good stuff. They do stuff with like Leo Burnett in, in, uh, in the States, a big ad firm, Um, something with Berkeley now and other Mm -hmm. things. So they they basically give people who are in very specific majors or, you know, design or something like that, who want to try something totally left field for a year, get some experience, but also get paid to do it because, you know, obviously unpaid internships are the devil. Don't do them uh, if you can
0: doer of an unpaid internship uh,
1: well at that time that was all there was but nowadays i think yeah people should get paid um ideally so yeah i so i was like okay i'll try this so i did that for a year so i was working as a copywriter as a photographer as like i did you know three different jobs three months uh three months three month contracts like proper contracted jobs just what it essentially taught me how to freelance it was like a freelance program and then I obviously helped them prototype what to do in the future and what works and doesn't mm-hmm. work and what I liked and didn't like and um it's kind of an exchange uh and oh, then okay. from then from there I just kept freelancing and because I had experience copywriting now and also experience uh with photography like I had enough to show people mm-hmm. uh, I just kept doing that and just didn't stop so I've just yeah. been freelanc- freelancing ever since but okay it's always it's always like some copywriting because the pay is much better Mm -hmm. and then photography you know at first doing like travel stuff and Mm -hmm. talk about that um because it was because it was accessible you know i could i could do it um i didn't have to stop my life for four months and in bed with you know a group in a a conflict zone or something like that i couldn't i couldn't afford that or do it um so i started with travel uh and street because it's available to keep you shooting Mm. Yeah, and then obviously I haven't, I don't know, I've I've veered away from the travel stuff for Mm -hmm. sure, um, simply because it doesn't pay. Ah, Uh, The dirty secret, the dirty secret is you will not make a living as an editorial photographer unless you are one of the editorial photographers and you probably have some other income or a spouse. A
0: spouse or (coughs) a trust
1: fund or something.
0: The the travel, uh, especially in today's, Economic climate, and when I say that, I mean you know, with a pandemic, like it's not a good time to be in the travel writing and travel media industry. I
1: mean, I wish people would just talk about rates, like just talk about how much you get paid, mm-hmm. and then you you know it doesn't add up. I mean, this is why people live in places like you know Mexico City or Chiang Mai or like these kind of expat hotspots because yeah, okay, you make ten, fifteen thousand dollars a year. Uh, doing occasional editorials um in this case you're doing a lot of editorials if that's all you're doing which I mm-hmm. doubt most people are I feel like everyone's doing some copywriting it seems like or every, copy yeah, editing on the side they just don't way. talk about it you know
0: yeah.
1: Um, yeah or they're with their spouse and it and you know it, or they have free rent or in some some way built in or right. something like I do I do here I'll be honest like you know like my partner we we have a tiny little one room place that her parents own in Catania it's a relatively cheap place no rent okay well then combine our incomes and we're doing pretty good uh-huh. you know uh-huh. um, but
0: that's absolutely try truly. and do
1: that in london or in yeah. Brooklyn. you're a liar I, you're not doing that there's no I way
0: i think that like the appeal the big appeal of the travel writer thing is being able to you know take the photo of your Laptop, you know, working from your laptop in, like, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bali, Indonesia somewhere. I'd be like, just writing up this article, hashtag digital yeah. nomad, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that there's a certain Oh, look, the check from grandpa
1: came, you know? Like, <laughs> Yay.
0: <laughs> but I also think that, like, for, for, and I, but I don't necessarily think that if you're, if you're, you know, like a college student, or maybe you're taking a gap year, I don't necessarily yeah. see a problem with that.
1: No, 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 absolutely not. I think it's good if you're able to do it. But I
0: do see, experience things and build a network and that's, those are actually ne- like now thinking about that, like those are all very, very valuable things to do. Uh, but yeah. to think of it as a sustainable forever career, like you say, it's like you got to be real special, I think, uh, in yeah. order to make that possible. Because yeah. like the For example, like I've know. done, I just plan okay. to make it, like if I make it break even, I'm happy. Like yeah. if I get to write a piece... Yeah. and go somewhere and the, the payment for the piece will cover my stay and cover yep. like my transportation costs of getting there then I'm like cool like I got to have this yeah essentially like free experience and yep. I have to write about it now and that's yeah. it like that's so for me that's I that's what I consider a successful yeah
1: piece. and this is you know the the whole fam trip thing I don't know if uh your listeners are familiarity yeah, that. trip like where you get it, the trip is paid for essentially by the local government or something else. Uh, you basically they cover your costs and oh. then you write about it. it, it but this like, is common in Japan. it's like yeah is that like
0: the one you invited me to a group exactly. uh, like a PR thing. Uh, you yep. were doing photography for that, and I was just supposed to be there like in pictures from time to time.
1: Yes, yeah, uh, so up
0: to Niigata.
1: Niigata, exactly yeah.
0: yeah yeah.
1: yeah, so this is the way it's done in Japan, but you are not <clears throat> excuse me. You're not allowed um, to accept free hotel, free trip, free transportation for outfits like New York Times, BBC Travel. Um, you're not allowed. So you, it's, a, it's a dirty secret. I mean, they oh. did the, what, the 52, the guy went to 52 places in a year or whatever. And everyone who has been to any of those places, you know, ostensibly New York Times is fitting the budget for this. And... They're not paid by any local, but he's doing itineraries that are clearly the same ones that other people had done as familiarity trips or as PR trips. So I think it's kind of like wink and nod at this point. Whereas it used to be, I went to this uh, Italian uh, photography exhibit and it was like from the 40s or 50s or something like that early. Mm -hmm. And And this guy, they had the story of how he got this story. And it was like, you know, the magazine put him up for three months in this small town you know gave him a a daily stipend of like whatever was exorbitant at the time so he could you know live like a king and be with the locals for three months I mean that doesn't exist anymore Mm. you don't get per diems and this kind of stuff not much you do you can but it's very rare
0: yeah or now it's like I would say now the shift has kind of been towards uh less towards Writing, perhaps, and like there's a big shift towards the content creator or influencer yeah. industry these yeah. days, it seems. So yeah, you like need to they, do all. Yeah, there are these, uh, you know, uh, content creators are people who run like big Instagram accounts that can take these gorgeous photos, these mm-hmm. lifestyle, you know, appealing lifestyle photos, and those, you know, are, there's trackable information and yeah. uh, all kinds of yeah. data SEO that, and, you know, yeah. that yeah. hotels can use to determine. <clears throat> whether it's successful or not. So yeah, the yeah. as the as the industry shifts, for sure. And as consumer behavior shifts as well. I think it's, I mean, it's, it's natural to see that kind of shift happen. Sure. But at the same time, it's also important, I think, in, in the case that you're talking about, and in the case of yeah. like, the influencer, content creator type content, to always keep in your mind, this is probably not real. <laughs> like, this is yeah. probably not a real experience.
1: Well, I mean, this proved it. It's not sustainable, really, unless you're already in a place that needs a ton of content, which in that case is probably expensive, uh, more expensive. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't travel around right now. So how can you sustain yourself? I think you need to always have something that you can rely on. I don't want to say fall back on because that sucks. That sounds like your parents. Um, but it's <laughs> you know you need something to fall back on you go get that business degree don't make get sure that you, business degree uh,
0: make no, sure you have a, a, not have, have the my my approach has always been have the stable thing like even if yes. it's not your favorite thing have yes. the stable thing and make sure that the stable thing allows you to have enough time to do the unstable things. Yes. And then if the unstable thing takes off, great, grab that, and yep. make it your next stable thing. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of my strategy. That's, I kind yep. of leapfrog around that way.
1: Absolutely the same. Absolutely the same. I always have that little back in my back pocket. I have a copywriting portfolio that I can get work right? with and if right. I need to. it's you know, always hopefully. a skill set, hopefully. a marketable <laughs> hopefully thing. Hopefully that stays. Yeah, I don't <laughs> okay. know. I'm, yeah um so let's I, then
0: talk like what the, uh so we're obviously uh you're you're talking from italy today so what made Italia, you think yeah. all right i'm done i'm done with, with japan i'm done with all never this all your i'm training.
1: not i'm not done with japan i still love japan it's my second home um oh. i think from from next year if if it allows i'm gonna I'm, i'll am i be splitting time i'll be doing about half and a half okay uh, between here and there um luckily i have a very understanding partner who's okay with that and uh will come with me and she loves japan too so it's like we 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 do well over there um nice yeah so uh yeah i'm not done with japan i mean obviously the reason i'm here is because i met a girl when i was working so that's how it goes there you go those italian sicilian girls will get you (laughs) um (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I I wanted to give it a try. I did also always want to live in Europe at some point. I wanted Mm. to give it an honest try. I don't know if Sicily quite is the Europe I was imagining for myself. Yeah, I wanted to ask
0: you, like, how does does your life in Europe, how does your life there compare to your life in Japan? Like, I I was thinking, like, Uh, it must be be quite a shock, like, the differences.
1: More than I expected, yeah, because I had been here for the expo. That was when I first came with a Japanese company uh, called Peace Kitchen. Umari, they were doing like food stuff. Oh, you met my boss. Yeah, I met them. Yeah, yeah. Hima. Yeah. Yeah. So I was doing stuff for them for expo. And then I was like, you know, oh, this is a nice place, but I I definitely wouldn't live here. I mean, there's no, I don't speak Italian. I don't, Mm. there's no reason for me to to do it. So I was back and forth between here and there, Milan and Tokyo because it's so cheap to fly from Milan to Tokyo it was like crazy cheap. So I was like, oh, this is sustainable. I could, yeah, it's like, I got tickets for like $400 round trip, $600 yeah. round trip, regularly, I think because they have two airports in both cities. I don't know, um, but it was really, really cheap. And I was like, oh, this is totally sustainable. Eventually it started to become like, "Ah, uh, maybe this is too taxing on a relationship. Mm-hmm. So I was like, maybe this isn't fair actually. Um, so there's an agency A photo agency here who um my partner had introduced me to and they were like very keen to like work together and I was like great um this is kind of my first experience with big promises uh no delivery in Italy okay common I feel, and I'm going to, sorry, guys, <laughs> this is my viewpoint only. This is my experience. <laughs> for this does not speak he is, for everybody.
0: is—he <laughs> It's he is <laughs> just to... my
1: personal experience. <laughs> Stereotypes are coming, guys. Yeah, if um, you're just
0: listening, this is, this is a, no, I won't <laughs> your go, mileage I won't go may too, vary.
1: Yeah. I, 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 don't, I won't go too far. Um face-to-face big promises here, a lot of big promises. They want to do big things genuinely, mm-hmm. you know, the same way Americans, they're very similar to Americans. Like, I got big ideas. I want to do these big things. You and me, we're going to work together. It's going to be great. Yeah, awesome. Um, the tendency is, I think, Americans feel like deep, deep, deep uh, fear and obligation of not backing that up a little bit. Like, it burns your reputation, right,
0: Uh We have pride.
1: yeah self pride what a concept yeah no you do you feel like my word is my bond and if i don't back this up i'm gonna look like a liar or Mm -hmm. or uh, just a blowhard um italy i think either either they i don't know what's going on behind the scenes because i'm not privy because i don't speak italian so maybe it's it's partly my fault as well but like they will it'll it'll just not happen and you'll be like in the planning stages and it'll just not happen and they'll be like sorry maybe we'll try next year and you're like, I just invested like, you know, two months in this thing that I thought was going ahead. And then it's just like, Oof. and uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the the red tape, because there is a lot of bureaucracy here. I don't know if it's just like, they get excited, they're excitable. So they get excited about the idea and they really want to do it. But then when they can't, they get ashamed. And so they, they just put it away and just, they won't respond to emails. As in,
0: like, are you saying like, that you just get ghosted? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of
1: ghosting here. And especially with like payments and this kind of thing was just shocking to me because, you know, the States, Japan, they pay, you know what I mean, generally. Mm-hmm.
0: Like it's, you know. I want to uh, ask you a bit about your photos, though.
1: Okay. So, yeah. uh,
0: you said that you'd studied uh, photography, specifically like black and white photography. Uh, yeah. And you had been, uh, you talked about doing some travel photography um, yeah. as well. But is I wanted to ask if there's like a specific kind of look that you're going for. Some kind of uh, like specific vibe or atmosphere that you are trying to evoke in
1: your Yeah, yeah. I definitely don't like explicit kind of informational photographs for myself. I Mm -hmm. like looking at them. I love like good reportage and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. um, I want like a hint or like uh, I want to leave enough room. I want it to be ambiguous. Like Mm -hmm. so if I'm shooting in Japan, I kind of don't want it to look like Japan. I, I avoid cliches like I don't want cliches you can't avoid them entirely you're going to get them um, but I don't want like you know the salary men on the zebra stripe the blade runner purple stuff I don't want that like I, it's it's you can do it it's, it's more marketable for sure um, mm-hmm. but I just want to hint I want like <clears throat> I don't want to explain <clears throat> excuse me I, the, there's a volcano behind me about a mile behind me and it's puffing away with uh, some some good dust. Today.
0: Oh, are you allergic? Um, okay, no?
1: Apparently I am. <laughs> no, i never knew this, uh, but yeah. I, you know, yeah, I don't like overly explicit. I, I like, you know, it's like poems are great. A great example, I guess. Like, you don't want a poet poem to be like, and this is what I mean, you know?
0: Yeah, that's true. That kind of ruined Ugh, it, doesn't it? Just, or you like
1: know? the end of a movie where it's like, and they all live happily ever after.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Ugh gross or it was all just a dream
0: yeah um yeah
1: in photography too so so much stuff um again just opinions but like so much stuff is very explicit now and probably because of so many people going to art school nowadays um and the instagram effect like everyone having access this is a good thing because you know I grew up a poor kid, I would love to have this kind of, I would love to have a smartphone when I was a teenager, I would, I would have had a completely different trajectory. Um, but you get a lot of the same look, there's a formula. And it's really easy. You can do that formula, you can just see it, you get a million examples, whereas you used to have to go to like a library or even on the internet, you had to find who it was that did certain kinds of work. And maybe you copy a little bit, but you can't do it perfectly. Now you can do it perfectly quite easily um and it so a lot of stuff gets very samey samey and i think Mm. very advertising and Mm. i think the line the line between art and advertising has gotten so blurred that i don't think anyone can see the difference or not anybody but a lot of people don't care really they're like what's the difference who cares i like that photo and i'm like well good that's fine but i think you know someone who's probably doing galleries or something like that can tell the difference but even they, I think, have started to like very, pre- not predictable, but sterile, kind of uh, clean. Okay. Everything's very clean, you know what I mean? Because digital is so easy. It's, the images are so crispy mm. and like perfect. And um, I mean, I can see the eyelash, you know, if it's on here, it's like mm-hmm. from a million miles away. It's so, so hyper real. It's almost like, for me it's like chewing on tinfoil a lot of times when I see that very hyper clear uh, sharp photo I, I just like it. I, I find myself trying to dumb everything down so it looks dark and kind of not as overt. Um, mm-hmm. If I understand. That makes sense. I'm yeah, rambling actually, totally, but this no, is, I feel actually, strongly about this. Like No,
0: that was, that was, I was looking for, for, yeah, kind of your perspective on that because like when I see your photos on Instagram or Twitter or something like that, I have, I've, I've there've been times when I'm just like, what is going on in this picture, Lance? Like, why did you choose this picture? <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I don't I hope, know what I'm looking so. at here. It'll be like, it'll Good. be like a reflection <laughs> on like a window and I can kind of half yeah. see a lady's face inside. And I'm just like, how i've often wondered like what is the thought process in in finding these Or like you posted one recently that was like i think of a garden somewhere like i want it looked kind of like rainy uh, season yeah. uh yeah. like in a pond maybe and it was it was like it could have been someplace in japan but it could have been uh, yeah. someplace else too yeah
1: that so was, I was like uh, oh, uh, that
0: was interesting because i like that it made me think Italy. and so I was like yeah I like that, that was one. just
1: an iphone photo too as well it's just like you know and then i just darkened it um mm-hmm. yeah I mean, first thing is light. Honestly, it sounds it's a cliche, but I really just like, okay, there's good light there. Maybe there's something I can do with it um, with reflect- reflections. Yeah, I mean, I was using reflections a lot of sort of trying to not get in that too much of a habit. Um, yeah, but you can, use, photo. you can use like a lot of, you know, window reflections and different uh, distortions. I mean, I'm trying to distort the photo a little bit. So it's not so obvious. I see. Um,
0: of but course, a beautiful portrait's a
1: beautiful portrait. So good. Yeah. yeah. Nice clean portrait. That's classic. It should you should shoot that. As sure. Well. But yeah. uh,
0: this question actually leads into this leads very nicely into uh, the question that I received uh, on Patreon for you. Oh,
1: uh paid former one.
0: a former interviewee. After former interviewee, okay. uh Sharif. Hey Sharif, if you're listening, Sharif is a comic artist. He's a dentist cool. slash cartoonist who has been on the series. He runs a, a very uh, entertaining uh, comic series uh, awesome. called Gaijin Falafel in um, oh, cool. magazine if you've ever seen it anyway, I will, I will he it wanted out. to ask you uh, what is photography's biggest strength as an art form and what is its weakness
1: Ooh, as an art form mm-hmm. um, its biggest strength is accessibility I think that's the first thing I mean anyone can take a photo presumably you gotta how good it will be who knows but like you can really just you know click or on your phone, you can just click and it, there it is. Um, I think that's good. Uh, really good because it used to be, you know, I mean, just cost, man. I, I don't know. I, you know, I grew up really poor. So I had this like really deep class angst and I really get harumphy with, uh, you know, people who are like, Oh, this is so, oh, no. and there is a difference. There is a difference. I'm not denying that, but it shouldn't be a difference because you can't do it because you can't afford to do it. Or because you didn't go to art school and you don't have the qualifications, I think the great thing now is that like if you're good, you're good, and you can have an old iPhone 5s. I mean, some of the best photos I feel I took were on my, you know, iPhone 4s or something, and it's it's all muddled and it just looks old. It looks good. It looks unique. Um, that's a good thing. That's the strength mm-hmm. of photography. It's accessible to everybody. That's also the weakness is you have a lot of people doing it who think or just can't see. I mean, you, mm-hmm. it's, an, it's a skill you have to develop what looks good or mm-hmm. what you want to shoot or w- there are rules, you know, you can break them but you need to know them, the classic mm-hmm. thing. Uh, weakness too is it's commercialized. And like we were just talking about, it's, bl- it's been so bled together that like people can't see the difference anymore. I mean, it used to be a scandal to shoot color because color was for advertising, right?
0: Oh, really? I didn't know that. In
1: the 60s. Yeah. Then you get like, you know, Winograd and all these other people. And uh, 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 anyway, a lot of people that started doing advertising and then they were like, I like this result with the color. I'm going to switch. You weren't a serious photographer if you shot color. Now it's just a silly. Now it's an affectation to shoot black and white, right? Actually, yeah.
0: I've thought that a couple of times. Like every once in a while, I'll be like, you know what? I'd like this picture in black and white, but I'm like, is this going to look pretentious?
1: (laughs) A little bit. You know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's good for war and stuff because it makes it stark. You know, it makes it, it, it uh, feels, we have an association that that's a serious issue. It doesn't.
0: I see. That's interesting. I, mean, this, I, I much prefer but, a juxtaposition. I will take the silliest picture possible and throw it in black <laughs> and white. I yeah. love that. Like a, a perfect recent example. You know, like the giant Gundam down in Odaiba?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: took a picture, like I was, I was doing the same pose as the Gundam, and then I put that in black and white, and I was like, yes, it's still
1: cool. <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong. I think these are all creative yeah. choices. Who cares? But, Absolutely. Uh, but people do have associations, and if you don't know what the associations are, maybe it, it doesn't translate for people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, black and <laughs> color, black and white, this kind of stuff. Uh, weakness, also, too, like I get, I will say, I get almost angry or I get indignant. When I see, which is a recent trend, it's very common, a very serious issue like you know domestic violence or something like this, and you have these women who are literally like beaten and by the person that loves them, and you have them posed like, like there's some champion on a hill or something like that. It's it looks like if I put Abercrombie or if I put some brand across the bottom gap, you would think it was a an ad, and For me, I feel like that does a disservice to that story because you don't have to make them also look like poor, suffering, you know, old Caravaggio paintings where people are like, oh, crying and stuff. But like Mm -hmm. a little bit of levity, Mm -hmm. or uh, not levity, excuse me, gravitas. Like you know, a little bit of keep it. The tone isn't right for me because I understand the the intention is to empower this person or to make them not look weak Mm -hmm. uh, because something happened to them. This is just one example, but um, yeah, but
0: posing. If I can, if I can
1: put a good thing is if i can put a logo or if i can put like coca-cola across the top and it looks like it might work for me i feel like you need to make a different creative choice to express the pain that is real for that person and not just a a photo project for you that's like almost imposing your style that you learned in you know your masters of photography program onto an issue where maybe for me at least seems it doesn't work or it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And I think there is a power to documentary photography that requires restraint and, and, uh, getting yourself out of the witnessing of that, or these people are allowing you into their lives. They're allowing you to do, they're telling you very personal things. They're telling the the journalists very personal things and you're presenting them in a way that looks fake. And there's or too pretty. It's just too pretty. Like, it's too clean. And mm-hmm. their life, in, if it's in this case, their life wasn't clean. Their life was difficult and messy and tragic. And you're mm-hmm. making it look like a Benetton ad. You know, I, I don't think that's good. I uh, see. That, so kind of, Again, my personal opinion. There's a no, lot of but stuff that works. Sometimes, it's an important but.
0: question that's been raised uh, Ethics. this I've read I've read this question raised uh, with a similar topic in the case of like uh, looking at um, children who are suffering from extreme poverty, yeah, uh, and like the ethics of photographing a child uh, that is obviously malnourished. You know how do yeah, you yeah. approach I that situation? That. Yeah. How do yeah. you how do you communicate uh, this dire situation and encourage people to try to help? uh, while not interfering, like what is, what is the role of the photographer? Uh, it's a really important question to ask. Wasn't,
1: wasn't that specific issue that he, he, um, this is, I know the exact story you're talking about where the guy took a picture of the little uh, kid in, I don't know, Ethiopia or somewhere Yemen. I I don't don't remember. Um, someone who's starving the kid was starving it was yeah. a very
0: graphic photo yeah, yeah it's very
1: hard to look at and then did he help the kid afterwards or he didn't I can't remember what people were angry at.
0: I don't I I remember the discussion uh okay. anyway. at the, about the it's ethics uh more more strongly but uh, yeah. well that is another is another good question uh but the I think that like as you're saying with the accessibility yeah. of 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 photography uh it does become hard, especially in this era, the social media era to t- like remove your ego from yeah. from the situation. And yeah. uh, another key question that's come up several times in this series is uh, Forcing yourself to think about your goal. So it's like, mm. is your goal uh, To put it in the words of a translator who isn't here, uh, Emily. Yeah, Emily, uh, ah, I know. Emily. Is your. Yeah. yeah, is your goal. <laughs> he said is your goal to be popular on the internet or is your goal to be the best translator you can possibly be exactly so it's another important yeah. question that you have to ask yourself you know regardless yeah. of whatever creative form you're yeah, pursuing I, what is I, your goal I,
1: I always think about it as like uh you know if you're doing it because you want to be something rather than you're doing something because you want to do something you know like if you want to be something that's perfectly fine, it's actually more motivating probably because you have this thing you want to become this identity, especially when you're younger, it's important to have that drive of like, I'm going to be this someday. Um, But the thing that's going to sustain you is not people, not accolades because if you, if the accolades stop or the praise stops, are you going to still do it? Are you going to stop doing it? If you're yeah, going to sure stop doing it
0: exactly i'm sure that you're familiar with the very famous david bowie interview the never play to the gallery interview have you seen that oh
1: i possibly but it's that not, is not required
0: viewing everybody who's listening okay. and watching has to go and google david bowie never played to the gallery it's like a minute clip but he's talking okay. about how uh, as an artist you have to always essentially do the thing that you feel that uh is your is your creative work so if you are okay. if you are doing something uh purely to appease other people it's just not gonna work you know yeah it's not the thing or it'll but... be
1: it'll be derivative i mean it's that's the problem with social media and instagram isn't it because i, I feel it too man I, if i get a like it feels good and i start thinking oh this one got 100 likes this one <laughs> right? got 50 likes everyone is prone to it even uh-huh. the fam- most famous photographers that don't care
0: absolutely they definitely
1: like when people like their photographs of that's course, why you... we
0: all want to be liked you know we're social creatures
1: though? by nature Absolutely. If that's driving your work, if the cart becomes the horse. Mm, Because
0: I think you have to kind of walk a fine line because most of us are not David Bowie and we will never become David Bowie. You know, (laughs) we like to think of ourselves as David David Bowie. Bowie. That's guaranteed. And so while I think that all of us can aspire to a level where we don't have to care about, you know, marketability, I think that most of us still have to consider how uh, how to market our skills you know absolutely. how to, how to make other people want to participate or how to make other people want to look at or listen to whatever like we're not all David Bowie's <laughs> unfortunately no. for better or for worse so you know how yeah. do you how do you um, find that line for yourself I think it's a really important thing to consider and to reconsider from time to time for sure
1: absolutely yeah
0: but this relates to see you yeah. to no, you're good' you're uh, natural. to uh, just because our time is going real quick few yeah. lots of good topics but I wanted yeah. to ask you uh w- with regard to this topic then you've worked for a big uh you know media outlets yeah you mentioned the BBC uh you yeah. did a piece uh for uh, you've done work for Vice uh yeah. Vanity Fair in Italy yeah. uh and many more but yeah. uh I wanted just from like a less from like an artistic perspective more kind of yeah. from the perspective of maybe somebody who's watching or listening that's thinking like how do i even begin to work with yeah. the, those big media outlets how do i how do i even like approach them how do i pitch them like how did you make those connections to get yeah. your work uh seen by you know the readers and uh, viewers of those media outlets
1: i asked i like i asked other people who were, who were doing it i just wrote to people um part of the experience institute prototyping program that I did for that year was was they taught you how to approach people like via email and then I got some tips and some hints and luckily BBC uh BBC travel specifically has an author's brief if you google like BBC travel author's brief it should come up and they it's thorough it's like extremely thorough about what you must do for their for a pitch if you want to pitch them so Mm -hmm. like you got a story idea great here's what you have to have this, 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 don't do this. It's like a, a little mini masterclass on how to pitch. And I think nice. if you follow, follow that and do a, like a more quick condensed version of that, you're gonna get a lot of hits. I was lucky mm-hmm. with BBC because I was, uh, again, Japan sells itself kind of, um, and I had enough photos to show them that they do at least the photos would be good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but p- pitching people very succinctly, very cleanly, and not asking for anything. Mm. I think, like, make sure that you're telling them what you can give them.
0: I see. Okay. Nice. You That's, know what I mean. That was a good. That was a real solid piece of advice. That's useful for a lot of people, I'm sure. Um, yeah. Other things you've talked already. We've already talked a lot about uh, travel media yeah. and media, social media in general. But is there anything that you you think you know, like um, you you hope to see a change in terms of travel media, or like? <sighs> uh some way that you hope things are a bit different especially you know post pandemic
1: yeah i think yeah definitely um i think it as we talked about like it was a bit saturated um with people who were kind of hobbyists or people who didn't really need to be doing that taking up that space because for them they don't care one way or another they're going on that trip or you know the whatever they're stationed there you know um with, for their job so they do this on the side which is okay but they're, they're weekend warriors or something I don't know um, those people I think are going to be kind of off now which mm-hmm. will maybe maybe I hope allow people who are very very serious and committed um, and presumably maybe more experienced and more talented to get more deep articles out I think the checklist kind of stuff, maybe I'm wrong. I might be getting, you know, old and out of touch, but like <laughs> the checklist, I, this is my hope. Uh, let's just say it's my hopes. The checklist kind of Buzzfeed, like these are the top 10 places. We can all do that on Google Maps, man. We don't need you. Right. I go right. there with my Google Maps and I, I see the stars. I go, Um. I don't need you anymore. I don't need a list. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would like to read, and I, I think the, the success of long form articles, uh, the success of, you know, podcasts like serial podcasts you know those ones are really long in depth really deep um and a lot of podcasts dedicated to one topic in particular where they go really deep Mm -hmm. i think that's there's a market for that and maybe subscription services like you're doing with patreon and stuff like that maybe that's that's good um that's my hope i mean i wish we could get back to i don't want to say old travel writing because old travel writing obviously has all these you know problematic Kind of outsider viewing colonialist yada yada Uh Uh, that's true but the writing the people who are writing norman lewis i mean if anybody's interested in reading travel writers from the past norman lewis an english writer he did stuff on in uh in sicily the mafia like uh naples 44 is like post-war it's amazing he's doing like a report basically reportage but it's beautiful it's literature um You know and i i still believe that there are some dividing lines between a blog and literature i know a lot of people it's all the same it's not um rebecca west uh she did it's a very long book so this is not light reading and this is not really what i expect from people because it's like godhead for travel writing but um rebecca west did something about yugoslavia where it's it's she's writing ethnographies about you know uh, it's just Beautiful writing and very informative something a light version of that is what should be in like the New York Times, Mm. you know, a a very, very light presentable version of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Edward Hoagland. Edward Hoagland is a great uh, writer. He can be a little verbose, but he's really beautiful. He wrote um, about Canada before, you know, it was fully domesticated or like colonized, I guess, uh, Mm -hmm. where these people are living in like out, out, out in Canada, Canadian outback and it's beautiful writing stuff that stands the test of time instead of stuff that'll be thrown away.
0: A listicle, um, <laughs> yet another one. A list, yeah, just yeah. like go
1: back and, go back and read a, a travel writing from even just pre-internet when stuff was actually had to be printed. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice a striking difference in the, in the level of writing, just how good the writing is mm-hmm. purely. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see a lot less I, a lot uh... less personal experience. I don't don't know you. I don't Mm -hmm. care what your experience is eating tacos. I want to know where do they source that meat? Like, you know, do some work. Like, uh, I, my hope is, is that's because you're going to get a lot of kind of hobbyists, um, back doing other work that they enjoy, I'm hoping not just out of work, which is I would also
0: sad. guess that that's a product of uh, tight deadlines and a lot, of, totally. a lot of articles required in order to make ends meet. You know, you're just pumping out things as fast as you possibly can because you have to get to Talking work.
1: about rates. It's exactly what we're talking about. I mean, why am I going to put, I've written articles and gotten paid nothing that were like, I was very proud of the writing in the article. And then I'm like, why did I do that? Mm. That is not worth my time. I just, mm-hmm. it is worth my time for me personally as, to feel good about myself for pride. Um, and it is a good, like, uh, it's a good calling card to show people. This is how much work I put in. Even when I'm getting paid $50, $80 from certain publications in Japan that are in English, uh-huh. who can make a, you can't, yeah. so it's, it's, it's a blog, it's a glorified blog, which is nothing wrong with that, but don't present it, you know, as if you're, uh, living off of that as it's, well.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it becomes... Little tidbits of information that are useful here and there. I like um, I like
1: listicles actually. Really, I I, I tend to I, overstate things, but I, I generally,
0: <laughs> especially oh god, I'm gonna they're helpful. I'm gonna, I'm,
1: do well, it, do it
0: t- from time to time. But like when I Your read opinion. when I read a listicle about Japan, I will hit uh, click it immediately well, like, when it comes up on Twitter. I'm like, oh, I got to see what this person put on this list.
1: <laughs> do you find do you find that you get very protective, like territorial about Japan because it's so misrepresented all the time, and you become like almost a like, uh, I get very protective, like when I see cliches repeated over and over, I'm just like, don't say that about my hometown.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't you don't say know that I get protective as I'm just like, oh, here we go again.
1: <laughs> it's exhausting.
0: <laughs> oh my god. If my god. I see one more
1: Blade Runner photography I'm reference, so I'm going to jump of Blade off a cliff. Runner.
0: Yeah, Blade
1: Fucking, Runner, that's the one. Cool. You took purple and you went all the way over on Lightroom. Nice. Yeah. That was yeah. A, that's, I, Tokyo is not purple, everybody. I know. Tokyo's not purple.
0: I know. It's not at all. Like Never. I, can, I appreciate it when, if an artist does choose to make like, you know, kind of like an artist's rendering or like they do like sure, a, sure, they do sure. a special illustration. It's like a Tokyo, video
1: game background but, kind of. A, but they, yeah, they yeah.
0: make it clearly, like they've clearly <laughs> drawn it with like pastel pinks and purples. Like it's a clear distinction between the way the city is and the yeah. way. It, well, that's 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 artists. a different
1: thing. It's not a photo. It's it, at that point. But there's still
0: so many people, and you were, you mentioned before. It sells. It's absolutely true. You know. Oh, it gets because published the in the New York Times thousands and everywhere. Of, like you know, shares and likes on social media, and everybody's going Blade Runner City. And I'm just like,
1: ah. uh, I I tried I tried to say something once on Twitter and learned my lesson hard. I don't know who it was even because I just blocked everybody really quickly. I was like, what yeah. was that? I got swarmed. I guess I don't know. People people because
0: swarmed I, you because you like, said. These co-
1: I was like, these colors are, it was like a morning, a morning sunrise or something and it was totally purple. And I'm like, there's no need to do that. At night, uh-huh. okay, it, it jazzes it up. It looks cool. I get it. But like in a morning sunrise, nature in all its glory in Japan. And you made everything purple and it was just my eyes exploded. <laughs> and I was like, Tokyo is not this color. There's no skies anywhere in the world that are this color uh-huh. ever.
0: There's and, uh, a whole movement going around. I got around.
1: attacked.
0: There's this whole like Neo-Tokyo thing. And I'm trying to understand it because there's some people, there are people in my network now that are very interested in it. And they're, they're interested in like this intersection of uh, city and technology and media and, you know, creating these cool images and, you know, creating yeah. cool photos. And I'm trying to wrap my head. That's kind of the latest thing. Like, you know, I'm trying to be not what is going on what are you kids doing sort of person. thing but i'm also <laughs> kind of like i don't quite understand it yet so but at this yeah but i do i do feel that the the excess of blade runner references yeah uh, with regards well, to like, like you anyway
1: before is, that it was it was lost I'm in translation bored. right like i'm bored it's just like yeah why make the same reference point lost in translation lost in translation for like it's uh, still now It was like 20 uh-huh. years now and then like you know uh, yeah, Blade Runner as well. I'm like, I don't know. I don't. For me, like Wong Kar Wai movies are closer, even though they take place in Hong Kong. Those are a little more like, you know so, what I mean? They're very yeah, saturated but, and rich. But
0: those, those are the kind of things, the stereotypes. That I, it's less that I feel protective. So it's more just that I feel bored and I wish we could move on totally uh, to other agree, to yeah. other topics because we're just rehashing the same thing over and over. Like a convenience Absolutely. store vlog or a picture of a clear umbrella in the rain. It should be a crossing. <laughs> So, Just like the know.
1: zebra stripe, the zebra crossings it's been done, guys, like it's enough. Like so, if you get a good one, take the photo, of course, always take the I photo think, and then yeah, it's, it. it's, but like, Those
0: are things everyone should experience. Everyone should get to experience did, the bright lights and the rain and all those things.
1: I, I understand it because it's aesthetic. It's beautiful, actually. But if you want to stand out or do something, find your, God, this sounds like a horrible catchphrase for an for a ad campaign, find your Tokyo. <laughs> but it's different for everyone my tokyo is not your tokyo ours are ours are closer sure. probably but like sure it's not yeah. like my experience is not walking around in a blade runner fantasy my you know experience is hanging out with friends in uh yeah. you know a tiny little bar and like yeah
0: but it's yeah. good to try
1: that's actually i know we're just joking around but that's actually a good thing for people to I, maybe if you're just starting out or something it's something i tell friends or like i want to do workshops or whatever Is like engaging your habit and like follow your habit to its conclusion like just go 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 so if you're like i know a, a photographer in, in tokyo uh dan spara he's a very good good guy and uh he was doing stuff with just uh, cones just the cones it's <laughs> pretty good and like the cones everywhere oh, he had a great name for it too i can't remember what the name was but uh if you look up dan spara and on his website i think it's there. okay it's like, uh, something about safety is really good Oh, that's um, cute. And just, that's cute. But he just explored it, and then and then eventually he was exhausted by it, and he stopped. You know. Yeah. So it was like, it's like, yeah. if you're someone who likes to shoot photos very bright and too much flash, and you get a mistake one time, and you go, I like that mistake. Mm. Do that mistake a thousand iterations until it until you get sick of it, and then you have that body of work. Mm. Where is it gonna live? What is it gonna do? Who are you gonna sell it to? You don't know, but mm-hmm. you have it to show people that you're kind of thinking a little differently. And I. I think it's yeah, you never exploring know. exploring bad ideas. I
0: agree. I agree. You explore, yeah. and you don't know it's a bad idea until you get to the end of it, and you're like, yeah, no, that was a bad idea. <laughs>
1: and you might but even you think it's a bad idea, it. and then five years later, you look at it, and you're like, this is beautiful. I, I used to take, uh, my commute was along the KO line, which is along Tokyo Bay. So every morning, I just like, religiously, you could sometimes see Fuji across the bay, but I would just take these very minimalistic, um, low quality, because it's an old iPhone, uh, horizon photos, I mean, a friend pointed out later, they're like, this is Sugi Mojo. And so, go, oh, okay, it is. It's just like rule of thirds, uh, whatever Whatever is on the horizon. And every day, it was, it was never the same way twice. And I did those just out of habit, just for my friends, just as mm-hmm. something nice. Now I go back and I looked at those, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to collect all these. Like, they're really low quality. But if I put them all together, like, this is, this is gorgeous, minimal yeah, photography. Cool. Like, um, whereas at the time, I thought they were throwaway. I didn't care about them. I was just uh, like, this is, I'm just doing a... It, it's a it's like doing color studies or something you know like when you're a painter you just okay I need to learn to paint different shades of red so here's all the tomatoes and
0: let's well, practice you know Every you're not going to sell practice. that painting
1: yeah, it's, mm-hmm. yeah okay I
0: well I think that you've is. been throwing tons and tons of uh, professional and creative advice out throughout this it's, discussion so I want to yeah. move like to the last couple of questions because we've been talking for over an hour Woo! Oh, um,
1: sorry.
0: <laughs> all good it's I want to I wanna to go to, um, back to just the topic of working in other countries and working in other cultures. There are two yeah. sides to this question. First, what do you think are the joyful or the exciting aspects of working in another country or another culture? What is it that's attractive about it to you?
1: Uh, I like that, maybe you find this, not everyone agrees with me on this, but I am quite literally a different person in Japanese than I am in English, I think. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a different person. There's some, some of it transfers over, but like when I'm speaking in a meeting in, you know, America, I'm I'm a totally different person. Mm -hmm. I'll shout out whatever, you know, because the rules are different. One, but like also because just I don't know, it's like your brain shifts. It's code switching, right? I mean like everyone does it. Um, That aspect is uh, and maybe this is too deep, but like, for me, it's like, it proves that there is no like stable identity or like there is no stable ego. It's fake. It's false. Like there's no narrative for who I am. I'm a completely different person in a different situation. If I get enough sleep or I don't get enough sleep, if I'm speaking Japanese, if I'm flailing in Italian, um, these aren't the same person. These are different people and they have different strengths and weaknesses, confidence levels, you know? Um, I often say that like, uh, you know, Japan was like my third parent. It like, it taught me to tone it down. It like kind of shaved off the rough ed- edges and mm-hmm. like that American brashness, you know, that you, you need, you mm-hmm. need it in America. Actually going back to America, it was tough to shift back to being like a little bit more assertive. I would say, sorry, uh, sorry, 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 constantly. Mm-hmm. And my, my dad once went, so he's like, stop saying sorry in your own house. You're making me feel bad.
0: I think that Japan, when I, when I reflect on things that, that being in Japan has taught I me, mean, one of the lessons that absolutely is kind of a softer approach to power, a softer oh, approach to, uh, um, and a more, um, how should I put this, patient approach uh, to, your, to your discussions yeah. and to, and I don't even like the word soft power even. <laughs> that sounds very it's just like in,
1: It's indirect. It's just, as, but, it's, just hmm. as, it's just as strong, sometimes stronger. So that's
0: a very interesting thing. But the flip side of this question then too, yeah. is what do you find challenging about working in other countries and cultures?
1: Oof. Uh, well, obviously America is a very individualistic country. Um, so if you have that mother culture whispering in your ear all the time, there's a, many times anyone who's lived in Japan especially can relate to like you want to flip the table over and be like, listen, idiot. You know what I mean? And that's not. It's just that they are not going to give in to your personal proclivities. You need to adapt to this situation. The rules are set, generally. Work within the confines. Work within the restriction. Uh, in America, you kind of just blast through the, you say that the restriction doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know? And there's a lot of countries like that, you know, maybe Netherlands or France or other places where it's, it's viewed as leadership or good um to to have the the left field idea and say it openly um italy is very individualistic like america but it's very inconsistent like in my experience i just one minute everything's great the next second everything's uh wrong and like not good and i'm like I was fine a minute ago like what's going on why is everybody again my own limitations like why is everybody freaking out now Mm -hmm. um a lot of times because of lack of Attention to detail, or something like that. But I like, okay. I like working on very loose. I want to say stuff that is not like managerial. In Italy, is way be- is much better. Like vineyards or something. If you go to vineyards or um, these kind of places, these kind of spheres are more. Um, they're in their, they're in their comfort zone, and they're very good at what they do. Mm-hmm. And they're extremely knowledgeable and they will they will school you. And it's a very free-flowing and easygoing trust-based uh, business interaction or marketing interaction or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that looseness is, I would say, even more uh, enjoyable than, than maybe in the States where it's like we're very serious because we're putting a lot of money into this campaign and blah, blah, blah. Here they're like, I trust you. You do what you want, mm-hmm. you know? And you're like, wow, really? Like, I don't know how to do it. You know how to do that. I make the wine. Okay, bye. Like, <laughs> that's <cool>. that's <laughs> cool. Yeah, if you're a creative, that's awesome. Because you're like, wow, I have carte blanche. I can do what I want.
0: Right. And um, that was kind of one of like the, one of my hypotheses actually in going into the series in general was that, like, you know, in my experience too, working with kind of more cre- creative, less, you know, big companies, big business, big bureaucracy, like while those have, you know, there are wheels and rules and everything that make those things go. Yeah. and, uh, you know, make them efficient or whatever. Uh, yeah. It's often you, you got you have to be willing to play by those rules. And so that's very not attractive in some cases. Uh, and for many people, your personality type doesn't fit so well with that. But I, I yeah. was curious about I've been curious about that. You know, why is it that, you know, people who are serious in creative fields, you know, there's, it's, it's a very different uh, it's a different way of approaching your work and approaching even your collaborations, too. So that's yeah. interesting. Uh, to hear that uh, from a winery too that sounds fun Uh, but uh, because time is very very long
1: (laughs) (laughs) you can edit (laughs) edit out all the hums and ahs and cut like five five (laughs) minutes from it that's an old trick I use in the radio I just cut out all the breaths and then you get down like two minutes
0: (laughs) oh yeah Um, I want to I mean like uh, I know obviously we both obviously the world is in a bit of a is a myth what should I say the world is in a lull, experiencing a lull, a
1: it's nice a real fixer-upper. We, <laughs> We're in a, <laughs> a little a work bit to of a be
0: situation done. at the moment. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, is there a next project that you're going to be working on, or is there a next thing that you're hoping to pursue?
1: Ah, uh, I, I guess what I'm working on right now, just to give you an idea of like the kind of balance between like what I have to do for money and then what mm-hmm. I what I do for my own enjoyment or my own passions. Yeah, uh, both. Basically, uh, the question yeah. is,
0: what what can people look out for? Uh, what can people yeah. Um, I, am, I, did,
1: I worked with uh, a fashion company called Golden Goose uh, here in Milan. They do shoes. Totally cool. not anything I've been involved in. Before I did all the, the copywriting, they have like a, a, a ostensibly, it's a, it's a guide to Argentina, uh, which was interesting to try to do with mm-hmm. uh, the current situation, as we're calling it. Um, so that's coming out soon. So Golden Goose Guide to Argentina. Is, okay. I, I wrote that um and then that's for paying the bills but it was also very enjoyable weirdly Mm -hmm. it's one of the rare times that it worked and don't you love
0: that when you get a cool job that also uh, pays your bills love it that's (laughs) That's the the dream dream. (laughs) that's that's
1: the dream you never get it but it's the dream occasionally it it coalesces Mm -hmm. um and then i there is a everyone should follow this uh account on instagram it's shoichi underbar kudo underbar awamori like the place, Aomori.
0: Aomori, no, okay. Not
1: Aomori, the, the drink, Aomori. Oh. oh, Aomori, okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Shoichi Kudo. Um, and it is essentially like a Vivian Meyer type situation. This guy was a, a a journalist for a local paper in the 50s. So just after the war, just post-war, all black and white, Um was like, group really poor is not able to get any jobs because it's all credential based in Tokyo. So he he's basically relegated to shooting his hometown took all these amazing time capsule photos but they're beautiful photos too you know Mm -hmm. it's not like they're just from that time they're just gorgeous photos um a real uh unsung talent um and his daughter granddaughter daughter uh kanako is running this instagram account which is now just picking up um so i wrote to her and asked her if i could have permission to sort of introduce that in english uh, somewhere like the Guardian or somewhere I'm pitching mm-hmm. a lot of different editors to to write the story of this guy uh, because first of all his personal story is amazing and then these photos if you see, I mean go and look at them and it's like mm-hmm. if you like Japan at all or you like photography at all it's just like what a treasure trove um, and what and a really cool story which I think there's nowhere in English to read it so I'm, I'm hopefully cool. gonna write that and introduce him I have to talk with her next mm-hmm. month but cool yeah. awesome yeah, so I'm excited about that.
0: That is awesome. So then the yeah. final the final, final final question is just where can people find you if they'd like to learn more about your work or see these projects you talked about?
1: Instagram's probably easiest. Yeah, okay. just uh it's Lance Stein because my last name, Henderstein, is too long and okay <laughs> trouble surprise is just lance stein yeah.
0: lance stein okay i'll put a yeah, link easy. to that in uh, the podcast description and the youtube description
1: and yeah. anywhere
0: anywhere else that we can find you i will put that into uh, wherever wherever you yeah, like I gotta link update to update my go.
1: site i'm very bad at marketing this is the the, se- the bad secret is I. well I'm also, not good at marketing yeah. that's
0: okay that's okay you know yeah. so we all good do at what emails we can. <laughs> good at emails that's it that's something <laughs> that's something yeah,
1: it is something <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay well i think right. we'll wrap it up here but if you'd like to yeah. add any final thoughts now is your chance
1: uh no i don't have any words of wisdom everybody's got to make their own mistakes and and figure it out we're all just winging it we're all just figuring it out as it goes and you can't predict anything in this year who knows november might be much much worse
0: right let's hope not but let's hope
1: not yeah let's hope
0: not but that let's is hope true. for a,
1: be- a better 2021 that's my, sure. my genuine hope i really hope
0: Agree. Anyway, I will end the conversation there. So thank you again so All much right. for your time. That was a lot of fun. Always a pleasure,
1: Alicia. Hope to see uh, you very soon and in good health with everyone. For sure. Me too. Yeah. All right. Awesome.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Non-Native Creative. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already so that you never miss an interview. Also, please make sure to stop by the project Patreon at patreon.com slash non creative. Patrons can get access to Patreon-only discussions, bonus behind-the-scenes media, interview transcripts, and access to patron-only live streams. Your support will help make sure the series can continue to share exciting, interesting stories from creative people working across borders. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.